Welcome to The Vinyl Preacher, your weekly podcast where we talk about the Bible and make a playlist. Matt Cadle, pastor at St. Mark's Lutheran Church in Los Angeles, California. And I'm Zach Paris. I am the pastor of Lutheran Campus Ministry at the University of Colorado Boulder. Zach, people are saying. Oh, that's, saying that's where the trouble church, starts. That the church should do more with young adults. Mm. What are your thoughts? I think we should pass a churchwide memorial resolution to secure 3 billion new young adults by the year 2300. Oh, that's good. That's a good goal. It seems like a smart yeah. goal, you know. So, I've thought <laughs> I came up with a, some rough. I penciled it out, as they say, in the number crunching business. I, I did penciled it out, and I think three billion is achievable. Um, yeah, Matt, we we really should. We should connect with the young adults. We should do more with young. I'm a I am a professional advocate for young adults. I like to think in the uh, ELCA. According to some definitions, I'm still a young adult at 39 years young. Uh, because there are literal definitions of church young adult that goes to 40 in a legal sense. Uh, though, if we're being honest, right, as long as you're not retired, I think you're a young person in the church. Um, Probably true. I remember I was at my, uh, when I was on internship, Matt, I don't think this will be offensive. Uh, so listeners, everybody be cool if it is. Okay. Um, my internship uh, church in um, in the location where it was, I'll try to keep this discreet, uh, had a young adult group that I, I did some things with. And when I went to the young adult group, my like first reaction as, I don't know, a 24-year-old seminary student was like, these are not young adults. <laughs> these, these people all have like real jobs and kids and... Like some of these people I think are 40, like these, I'm a young adult and these are not, I can, one thing I know, these are not young adults. Little did I know, Matt, they were, they were young adults in the church. <laughs> they were not the outlier. I was the outlier. So, uh, <laughs> things have changed so much. Things have changed. Uh, we're old. We're cranky, Matt. And uh, as an old cranky person, as an advocate for church, uh, for not for church, but for young adults in the church, uh, I was on a call yesterday, Matt, and it made me think, okay, because we brought together synodically. It's a good idea. Have a conversation. Bring together all the folks because uh, there are lots of ways that on a synod level, which for our non-Lutheranese uh, listeners uh, is like a larger, like a diocese or a district or a larger geographical area. Uh, our synod does uh, a lot of different things and connects with young adults and young adults are involved in the synod in lots of different ways. So all those stakeholders were brought together for a conversation. And um, that experience combined with a recent, recently we did a weekend retreat with other Lutheran campus ministry groups from uh, the ones from Greeley and Fort Collins. And uh, that experience on the retreat, one of my big takeaways was I was... <laughs> I knew our group was a little different than the other groups. Um, but that experience, that retreat really hammered that home because most of our students, because um, we try to do that Lutheran campus ministry, uh, bread and belonging, this ministry of belonging where, you know, 
uh, that's sincere, that where you really welcome and belong uh, and do the belonging stuff with people. You don't have to prove anything to get through the door. Uh, you are already a part of this community. Uh, and what that has resulted in is we have very few students who come from a Lutheran background who, who identify in any sort of meaningful way as a Lutheran, right? Um, worship isn't the main thing we do. It's dinner. Uh, and we, you know, you don't have to also like the worship stuff or to to somehow have an affinity for Lutheranism to like be a part of things. Right. Um, and so when we put together for a weekend retreat, which in classic like church weekend retreats involve like devotional moments or worship and stuff. Um, and it was really jarring for a lot of our students that we were like having a good time hanging out. And then all of a sudden we were like, all right, now no more fun. It's time to devote. And they had like sincerely held questions, right? Like one of them like literally asked, well, what's a, what's a devotion, right? And everybody chuckled yeah. because we think we know what a devotion is. I couldn't answer the question very well. Listeners, if you have a real clear, <laughs> def highly defendable answer for what a devotion is, please let us know in the comments. Um, uh, but they like, what, what's a devotion, right? And like suddenly we were into this like scripted, very insider sort of thing, right? And we did worship. Mm -hmm to them very suddenly, which many of them have never been to a church worship service before. Uh, and suddenly they were, <laughs> and it was pretty well done. And like in some, if you knew the language, it was done in like interesting ways, but they didn't know the language. So they like thought this is, this is how it is every time. And if that's the case, then it, then it is super weird. I mean, it's always super weird, but so like, I'm starting to think question, right? Like, so what, I've had a hesitancy ever since, like it's been the past over the pandemic or the character of our group has really changed in that way. Um, where we're pretty not folks don't have like religious identities necessarily. Um, so like my question then, right. Is I'm super connected to the ministry sites to, to Lutheran campus ministry in Fort Collins and to you in, in Greeley at Northern Colorado, because they're Lutheran campus ministry and we're Lutheran campus ministry and I'm Lutheran and the pastors there are all Lutheran, but what connects our young adults? Um, and I don't think right. The answer is that we need to do a better job locally of instilling a Lutheran identity into, uh, into our young adults in order for them to be connected. Right. Uh, but if it's another, but if it's another thing, then like, what does Lutheran identity have to do with things? Because I think, right. Like historically broad, broad view here, um, Lutheranism in North America has connected. The connecting principle has been some sort of ethnic identity or Id identity. Mm -hmm. Lutheranism as an identity that connects us. Um, and if we're doing ministry effectively with folks who don't have that identity and we're sincere because we say it all the time, right? You, know, you don't have to be Lutheran, right? To like, you probably say it, right? At, at your congregation, right? You don't have to be Lutheran to come to a church at St. Mark's, right? We'll make you into, no, we don't say that part, right? Um, but then once you'll become a Lutheran and then like you'll belong and stuff. Right. And so we started to have some of that conversation in the, 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 the zoomy zoom we that I had yesterday. Um, and we could come up with lots of good definitions. Like we're, we're all, our people are connected because we're all concerned with, with creating like supportive community, um, which may be true, but we're all in that zoom because we're Lutheran. Right. Like if that's what was bringing us together, there'd be other people here and some people here may not be here. Right. Um, and so I think that's just a tension. I, I don't I don't have a, an answer for how to relieve this tension, but a growing tension, a tension that's present in work with young adults in particular of 
our structures are built on connection through a through a connective tissue that we're not focused on developing um probably for good reasons at the ground level so how do these things actually connect because everybody likes the idea that we're quote unquote better together trademark 2013 yeah does that make sense yeah maybe we'll see if we'll see if my response makes it feel like we're in conversation i mean i feel like it's it's just what you said like all these questions raised and no answers but they seem like the natural outgrowth of of where we're at the connective tissue it always i mean it sort of feels like the connective tissue is was ethnic right and yet and we might say theological, but it's more like we try to make it theological or yeah. we'll try to teach you into it being theological. And maybe it's more theological for the pastors or the like seminary train than it is for the average person in the pew. But you probably get some of that theology because, you know, somebody's picking the hymns and somebody's like doing the preaching. So like there's there's a little bit of it, but it's like but there's there's always been a tension there. Right. I assume that there's always been a kind of mm-hmm. tension. Yeah. Um, but now if the ethnic part is drying up then it just raises the tension in up in all these in new ways and yeah. and probably different different communities are going to have different responses to are going to evolve in different ways right and that might be okay like if different communities evolve in different ways like um so they seem they seem like the right questions i'll say like at say marks i feel like i've like like trying to do confirmation. It's like, okay, what does it mean to be Lutheran? Right. Like, I feel like there yeah. was, there was a time when that felt like, okay, you're going to learn like the small catechism. And, uh, and there are still like churches that do that. And sometimes I think we do it. Do it's, it's really well, strange, but we yeah, do. As, as you know, the catechism is actually like a really useful mm-hmm. like tool. Like it's a, it's a super useful tool. Um, but it just sort of raises this question. Like, what is, what is, what does this mean? Um, and in my context, like I, I started explicitly tying it to this. Um, I mean, it's basically the Semper Reforma tradition, but I tied it from from Martin Luther to Martin Luther King, and to try to tie these like this tradition of reform within the church and in the world, and to try to draw some of these connections, uh, which in my context, I I think is like a pretty good way of of thinking through it. Um, but but again, it's where like I think I think different communities are going to have different responses and are going to evolve in different ways, but. Who knows how it's going to shake out? I don't have any answers either. <laughs> you know, I think I, this is going to come as a great surprise to you and to our listeners that uh, <laughs> occasionally I can be uh, cynical. Um, and when, uh, you know, there's this thing called thriving, right? Uh, that previously was thriving for Christians and before that was thriving for Lutherans. And before that was like Lutheran Brotherhood. Is that, and Lutheran, it was a combination of things. It was a merger of, it was a Lutheran fraternal organ, like financial organization. It's a nonprofit deal. It does. It was not Lutheran siblinghood. It was Lutheran. It was not Lutheran Lutheran siblinghood. It was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. (laughs) Um, What if that's the change they made? Um, A thriving financial for siblings. Um, And uh, it was just for Lutherans. They did financial services, not, uh, it was a not for profit. So they donated all the proceeds. It, it remains a not for profit, I believe, and uh, is one of the largest, like, 
donators of philanthropic funds in the country. Uh, but you used to have to be a Lutheran, a member of a Lutheran church to be a part, to, to be a client at Thriven. And gosh, it was really early on, maybe even while we were in seminary uh, in, in my career, when Thrivent for Lutherans became, opened up and became Thrivent for Christians. And everybody was like, those sellouts, they're giving up on the Lutheranism, right? Like they, <laughs> just real cynical, like I, you know, I was there, I had a cynical take on it. Like they're, they're giving up on the whole Lutheran thing and just like, just anybody now. Uh, and then they went a step further, right? And you don't have to be a Christian. Uh, yeah. which sounds, which is fine, you know, uh, but, uh, now it's just thriving financial and they're advertised on sports radio here, uh, in Denver, which is interesting. Um, but I've had this whole cynical thing approach to it, but these days, like I, one, I'm thinking, gosh, thriving new stuff that the rest of us, like we're too, had our heads way too far deep in the sand, like drinking the Kool-Aid in terms of like what the future was going to look like. And I like as the leader of an organization whose support on the Lutheran institution is declining. Um, right. I wonder what that means for like, um, you know, churchwide larger, like the church body used to pay for campus ministry and they have been cutting those funds for years and years. And, and in response, right, we've developed a new funding models that are sustainable and move us into the future. And those funding models are less dependent on, the Lutheran institution. And so what is our relationship to the Lutheran institution? Um, you know, yeah. moving, moving forward, right. To do the better together piece, right. Like um, there have been times, you know, when, when it feels like my job as a, and a specialized call is to be like called through the Senate council to be a, a representative of advocate for the wider church in general, you know, but when the wider church in general is, less literally invested in what we're doing, how much of my time and energy should I invest in that sort of reciprocal relationship? Mm -hmm. Just because it's a good thing to do, you know? Yeah. 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 So I'm sure we'll figure it out this week. <laughs> I'm sure. I was trying to think if there's possibly a connection uh, to some texts that talk about things hey. that seem to be dead. <laughs> First, you got to go into the grave. Go into the grave. Can these bones live? Mm. Doesn't apply to anything in our world. And on that note, it's time for the text. <laughs> what a note. <laughs> what a note. <laughs> We had some technical difficulties, listeners, but we're we're back. We're back. Fortunately, we fixed the editing machine, and so it's going to be all edited perfect. You're not even going to know about it. Amazing. Outside of us telling you right now. It is the fifth Sunday of Lent. E-Z-E-K-I-E-L. <laughs> yeah, we're not going back to that. We're going to get in trouble. <laughs> Ezekiel 37. 1 to 14. Uh, it's Lent 5A. Fantastic. It's uh, it's great. It's great One of the text. top three Lent 5s, I think. <laughs> One of the top three. It's on the Lent top of the fives. Lent 5 pyramid. I mean, it just, it just, it sets, it's, I mean, they're great. But uh, what a setup. What a setup for Holy Week. I mean, just, wow. 
great stuff. Uh, so Ezekiel, which also previews, since I know you're going to read this at your Easter vigil, just uh, be prepared for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you do Should the vigil great. and you don't do dry bones, or have you done the vigil? <laughs> have you done the vigil? <laughs> and, the Episcopalians are required to do uh, the escape from Egypt for the vigil. It's a required oh, one. Really? Is that that's yeah. not required for us? Well, nothing's required for us, Matt. Well, we have like four that have asterisks by them. Yeah, and those asterisks, Lutheran clergy live and die by the asterisks of the ELWM. <laughs> they have to like call a bishop and ask if they can like make changes. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's definitely different. Yeah, yeah, we. Uh... I'm trying to figure out how to do the vigil differently. I mean, not do the vigil. We're going to do it all the same, but try to do the stories differently. Because uh, I, like, no, I feel like I've done it like 10 times. So, yeah. Man, You're bored keep now. Fresh. Get a PhD okay. in vigil liturgy. For real. For real. Uh, but we're not there yet. But we do have a text from the vigil. It's the drive You're double dipping with your prep today, preacher. Oh, right. Right. Uh, this is so good. Uh, also want to point out that the Holy Moly Sunday School has an amazing video for this text. It's so good. I love it. All right. So good. Is that on YouTube? Uh, or you got to pay for that. <laughs> I don't think it is on YouTube. I think mm. you got to. All right. Uh, yeah. The hand, but it should be. I told them. I was in a focus group for, for oh, Augsburg really? slash 1517. Yeah, because it was like for confirmation stuff. And I told them. I was like, you got to put this stuff. You got to make it. You got to figure out a pricing model that makes it available. Like this is I don't want to order a DVD and find a DVD player. Like that's this is nuts. So, oh my like, god! Yeah, right. Like it doesn't make sense. You gotta go on Craigslist. You can subscribe to like you subscribe to their like online library, but then it's like it's really expensive. There's gotta be some way to make this work because the Sunday mm-hmm. school that we use, I pay twenty bucks a month and I can co- make copies of a printed thing I download online. Like it's super easy. So yeah, why are we doing this? Like it's nuts. All right. Uh, we are really taking of, on the institutional church today. <laughs> I mean, the problem is like the content is sometimes good. Like I think Holy Moly is good. I have I have issues with problems. Everybody the content hates is sometimes good. <laughs> Here's the thing, you guys. Everybody hates collaborate. This is what I've learned. Anybody I talk to, they're like collaborate. It's terrible. It's so bad. Like that's the that's the. Uh, if you wrote anyway. collaborate, we do want to invite you to come on the podcast and talk about it. <laughs> it's like it's you like it has. Oh, I can't. I can't even. It's yeah. Um, Join the Patreon four. because we're going to do some bonus episodes where Matt offers withering critique of church <laughs> church public publishing house materials. When it's good, it's good. You know, like the reform stuff. Now it's starting to get a little dated. But uh, but it was all like question based, which I really loved. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, we should like just ask like hard questions. Like that's real fun. Like that's great. I love that. Uh, anyway, I did holy moly with my. This is what a church nerd I am. That's what I did with my kids during the pandemic. We made it all the way through all sixty four whatever sessions of uh, of holy moly, and it was it was great. It was a wonderful experience. Wow. Highly recommend it. It's great. You're such a better uh, pastor was- and parent, Matt. I tried to do a church thing with Zoma during the pandemic, and it lasted one half of one attempt. It was immediately I mean, I shut just, down. I didn't, you know, I literally just used Sunday school materials that were made for them. That was all I did. Uh, what? Where am I going? That's oh, where yeah. I went wrong. We. <laughs> I used collaborate. This is supposed to be time for the texts, listeners, oh, but uh, sorry. we did. Sorry. We, we we started 
So uh, our dinner table conversation, it's a little, it's an episode of life at home. Uh, dinner table conversation, Chris tries to do highs and lows. And uh, the kids mm. are getting sick of highs and lows. So yeah. she said, you know, you got those conversation cards at church. Why don't you bring some of those conversation cards home? Okay, I'll bring those home. So they pull one of the cards and it's like, who has taught you the most about God? And they're like, oh, daddy, because he's a pastor. It's definitely daddy. <laughs> Dad, he's a pastor. We definitely. All right, uh, mom, your turn. Mom, you could say either husband or Matt. Those would be your <laughs> like, I don't necessarily. She's like, I would not. She's great. She said something like, you know, your dad has made me think about some things, but I wouldn't say I also have a life outside of. That's great. That's great. Oh, uh, gosh. So, yeah, you know, uh, pastor and parent right here. Um, bad news, Matt. It looks like our editing machine is broken again. And so all this is just going to stay in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you, Ezekiel, one of the highlights of the entire Holy Moly series. I was laughing hysterically. It was so good. The hand of the Lord came upon me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. Mm. It was full of bones. This is this is good. This is classic. This is elephant graveyard. I'm an option. Is the visual I get here? Lion King, elephant graveyard. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I am gonna option this screenplay immediately. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. He said to me, "More." Why that Ezekiel touched them? <laughs> get a get a sense. Yeah, they're just super dry. He said to me, "Mortal." Can these bones live? And I answered, I mean, what else do you say? Oh, Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, which is not really an answer. It's a great. It's just, I'm going to throw it back at you mm-hmm. because I don't want to say yes. And I don't want to say no. So, <laughs> oh, Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you and will cause mm. flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. And as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise. Do your job. Mm-hmm. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked and there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy mortal and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath and breathe upon these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them and they lived and they stood on their feet, a vast multitude. Then he said to me, mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you on your own soil. And then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. 
Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. What a what a story. What a story. Um, bones, 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 bones. How many times does word show up in this text? I mean, it's just, oh, it's great. What's the Hebrew on that? Yeah, it's, that's a good question. I wonder if it's as much fun to say. Bones and breath. Breath is the other B word in here. That, ruach. Uh, oh, yeah, the ruach. Let's see here. Do, 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 do. Bones 6106 in the Strongs is a uh, Etsum. Etsum. Hmm. Bone of my bones. Etsum. Interesting. Um, well, uh, super, super visual. Um, really fun to tell. Use some sound effects. Uh, bring it to life. You can do a dry run of your vigil story at worship. Like, on what Sunday. kind of run? You know, a dry, oh, dry a bones dry. run. It can be a dry bones run. Just do a quick dry bones run. It'll be great. Use use that uh, rain stick to make some rattling. Uh, it'll be it'll be really fun. Um, yeah. We were going through. We did it. We did a, some spring cleaning at church a couple Ooh. weeks ago. Went through all the stuff up in the attic, and I said, "Oh, set that Halloween stuff aside. We're gonna need it." At the vigil, <laughs> we're gonna need it. Set it aside. Um, there's not vigils. enough. You know, there is a lot of con- there actually are a lot of connections, right, between Halloween and and the vigil and the Easter like Eve, right? Like, yeah, yeah, the dead are, are rising. It's mm-hmm. there's a lot there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But it's candy. also a text that <laughs> candy <laughs> could that uh, I think speaks. It's like. Um, can speak to any age, can speak to any time, can speak to any community in so many different ways, right? Um, are you feeling tired? Are you feeling weary? Are you feeling worn out? Are you feeling like your bones are dry? Are you feeling like all hope is lost? Uh, have we come to the end of things? Uh, well, God's got news for you. You're never too far gone. Or at least if you're completely far gone, God can dig, <laughs> dig up into that grave, open up the grave, and bring you out of the grave. Um which is just, I mean, I think that'll preach. I think it preaches. Yeah. I think so, man. Uh, and the connection here, I'm going to throw a, a ancient Near Eastern uh, sociological connection on top here, okay? Uh, so we're about to get Lazarus. I'm going to tell you the Lazarus story. And Lazarus is in a tomb, right? He's not buried in a grave. Because mm-hmm. the practice was you'd put a dead body into a, like a rock tomb, like we think of a Jesus and Lazarus. And the point of that year of being in the, you put in, you put somebody in there for a year. Um, you put someone in there for a year. And the idea is that in that year, all that you have left at the end were the bones, which uh, kind of pointing back to this Ezekiel story is all they thought they needed to keep, right? And then you put the bones in a box, like an ossuary, and then you bury those bones with the expectation wow. that the that pointing back to this Ezekiel text, that um, that the bones with the day of the resurrection, right, the bones will be uh, dug on up and knit back together as we get here. So the bones part's important, right? Like that, like that's an actual. They don't do full sort of like Egyptian mummification. Hmm. Just the bones is all God needs. Just the bones is all God needs. Which makes me question, like, the Orthodox prohibition on, like, tattoos and stuff, you know? I don't know. Hmm. 
Hmm. I have questions about it, I guess, in a sincere sense, not in a judgmental sense. Uh, but Matt, can I tell you about my good friend Lazarus? Yeah. Now, Lazarus was, most importantly, a certain man. Uh, he was of Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha, and they all appear to live together, and that's important, uh, over in Bethany. And now he got sick. He was ill, uh, not just in the southern sense of being ill-tempered. Uh, he appears to be physically ill. Uh, Mary, if you recall, Matt, was the one who anointed Jesus with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. That was a strange incident, but it happened. Uh, and Lazarus was her brother. And again, he was ill. So the sisters, they send a message to Jesus. Sister, sister, T and Tamara, they write the message. Lord, the one whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, here's the twist. This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory. So that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Strangely enough, that's exactly what I told Sister Teresa when I was incarcerated in the... Uh, uh, infirmary of a French monastery. Oh. <laughs> Accordingly, though, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, loved the whole fam. Uh, and after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. He didn't get a move on to come help out his good friend. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. One of the things we're missing, Matt, because this... We uh, Lent, the stories in Lent, the lectionary in Lent focuses on some like really good big stories and we lose a sort of like linear narrative. This is the end of Jesus. This is the last chapter in Jesus like ministry before things get to Jerusalem and it's about like the cross essentially, mm -hmm. right? This is the last miracle, the last sign that happens. Uh, if you want to frame John, it starts with a with a wedding right at Cana and we end with a funeral which spoilers is about what's, what's about to happen to Lazarus. One of the other things that's building is the Judean authorities animosity towards Jesus. Uh, and we get that gets cut out of these snippets, right? So he's been running away from the Judeans because they're getting pissed. And so they're up in Galilee. And so he's saying, which is Galilee is a safe place for Jesus. Uh, but he says, let's go to Judea, which is where the bad guys are. And so the disciples respond, Rabbi, the Judeans were just now, they were throwing stones at you, trying to stone you, and you want to go back there. And Jesus answered uh, in a real smart-ass way, uh, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world, but those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. And that, uh, I'm sure, applies to the question. <laughs> Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to awaken him. And the disciples said, if he's fallen asleep, he'll be fine. Jesus, however, was speaking in metaphors. He'd been speaking about his death, but they thought he was referring merely to sleep. And so Jesus told it to him plain. Lazarus is dead, period, full stop. For your sake, I'm glad I was not there. <laughs> so that you may believe. Because that's why signs, that's why miracles happen in John. They have to lead to belief, to belonging, to trust. Uh, but let us go to him. And Thomas, who was called the twin, uh, who is later maligned as the doubter, here has great faith, says to his disciples, uh, fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. What a ride or die kind of dude Thomas is. <laughs> right? Like, he, he, what a bad rap for Thomas, right? Like doubter. He's the one out and about risking death later on. And here he's like, I am down. Let's go die together. Like, Are you suggesting we should be calling him ride or die Thomas? Not ride Thomas. or die Thomas. Yeah. RDT. When Jesus arrived with his boys, 
with Thomas, most importantly, Thomas probably got there first. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Uh, ancient Near Eastern custom thought that the spirit would hang around the body for around three days. Uh, so this is saying Lazarus is dead, dead, dead. Okay. Uh, now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away. And many of the Judeans had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Again, they have an interesting dynamic, Mary and Martha. And Martha said to Jesus, uh, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Which is an interesting sentence. We can hear that in a lot of different ways. One of the ways, you know, the way that I first hear it is in a, why, where were you? If you were here, my brother would not have died. But you could also read it as a really certain uh, statement of faith. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. I know this, right? Um, it's not, Lord, if you had been here, you might have been able to help. He would not have died if you had been here. Um, but even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Martha kind of a know-it-all. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? It's a quiz. And she said to him, yes, obviously. Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. And when she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, Mary, I can't make this public, but I want you to know the teacher is here and is calling for you, or the rabbi, same way. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus, still not yet in the village, uh, but still at the place where Martha had met him. And the Judeans who were with her in the house, Jesus has got to hang back because he got Judean authorities up in the house. And again, they literally really want to kill him. Um, they saw Mary get up and go, these the baddies, and they followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep there. Did they? Did they? <laughs> and when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt down at his feet and said to him, Lord, Again, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Judeans who also uh, came with her weeping, the Judeans are crying, he was greatly disturbed. Oof, there you go. Disturbed in spirit, deeply moved. His insides churned. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, you're right, Lord, come and see. Oh, the, the, stu the student has become the teacher. Because uh, if you remember calling disciples, come and see. Come and see. Uh, and now they're saying, hey, Jesus, we got this thing figured out. This is like master class. This is graduation proving ground for Mary and Martha because the story is mostly about the women. Just like, uh, you know, flip it back to those first stories are about the women, Samaritan woman, wedding at Canaan, because uh, they've got it down. Lord, now you come and see. And Jesus began to weep. Maybe that's why he's weeping. Like he's the fulfillment of, of what he is uh, bringing to the world <laughs> is happening before his eyes. So the Judean said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus, again, and we don't want to uh, emphasize, we can't emphasize this enough. Jesus, again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, already there's a stench. It stinks because he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, cracks in the in the faith facade here. Uh, did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? And so they did it. They took away the stone, away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I've said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. 
And when he said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, probably like in a fairly humorous way, because his hands and feet were bound with strips of cloth. And he was probably just like hopping and his face wrapped in cloth. And Jesus said to him, them, unbind him and let him go. Oh, let him go. Where have we heard that before? Let my people go. What? Vigil? It all comes together. <laughs> and many of the Judeans, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, they became defectors and they believed in Jesus, uh, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, man. Praise you, O Christ. Nailed it. What a story, Matt. Again. What a story. Uh, it's so good. I feel like this is uh, this has become one of my favorites. It's taken a while. You know, you mm-hmm. go through different stages in your life. I feel like this one, oh, there's, there's so much. There's so much good stuff here. Lazarus for Lutherans. <laughs> Lazarus for Lutherans. <laughs> One other thing I didn't throw in there, Matt, that makes the story important is that it appears uh, that Mary and Lazarus and Martha are all living in that house without like parents, that they're the head of the household. And so Mm -hmm. the death of Lazarus imperils Mary and Martha. And so it's a concern, not just that Lazarus, their brother whom they loved and Jesus' friend whom he loved has died, but that now Mary and Martha are single women without a male to protect them in the ancient Near Eastern society. So the stakes are pretty are even higher than our modern ears here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think even, I mean, I think we see like, so there's that practical economic concern, but it's also an example of how this isn't just about just like the, the blind man in the last, in last week's story. It isn't just like, okay, we healed this one person. They're good. Moving on. Um, but that any person's death has ripple effects that go out uh, mm-hmm. in all kinds of different unexpected and expected ways uh, into the broader community. And so Jesus' act here, while it's for Lazarus, has an impact far beyond Lazarus. And we can already yeah. see that in Mary and Martha, but I think, um, yeah, it goes far beyond just, just this one person. Yeah, and it, it, it has an effect, right? If we, what I'm complaining about is, the Lenten Gospels don't accurately uh, tell the story of this increasing conflict between Jesus and the Judean authorities. The raising mm-hmm. of Lazarus um, is a strike against the, the the powers that be, right? Like the Judeans who come out um, see yeah. this, you know, and they believe. But I mean, it just says they believed in him. But what that means is they are now a part of. Essentially, they abandoned. Judean established society and power structures to be a part of the Jesus movement. So this, this is where it ends. This is where the gospel ends with that line that many believe yeah. in him. Mm-hmm. Wow. See, if you just read a few more verses, but some just like Ooh. it says, some of them said, see how he loved him. And then some of them said, well, couldn't he have kept this man from dying? Same thing happens here. Many of them believed in him, but some went back to the Pharisees and told on Jesus this is the message translation. The high priest and Pharisees called a meeting of the Jewish ruling. And they said, what do we do now? This man keeps on doing things. If we let him go, pretty soon everybody will be believing in him and the Romans will come and take away our power and da-da-da. So you see all that in the very next two or three verses. So maybe, dear reader, 
Uh, our dear listener, you might just want to read like two or three more verses. And, this uh, reading's just not long enough. That's one of the complaints that everybody has. <laughs> That's the problem. It's too short. It's too short. <laughs> You've been reading entire chapters of Harry Potter for the gospel for the past month. And now let's do a little longer. Maybe maybe you just need to do it like a, like a post credit stinger in a Marvel movie. So like at the Ooh. end of Worship. At the end of Worship, you go, yeah. wait, wait. Just one more. Don't let him, don't get up yet. Oh don't my get up gosh. yet. Just I would wait. love that, man. <laughs> and then you get like you get this little and then they just do that part with the, the Pharisees are meeting. Like it's just a little like stinger. Ooh, where's this going? What if you did that for Palm Sunday? Right? <laughs> you do? took the passion took you take the passion out of Palm Sunday and just make it Palm yeah. Sunday. Like it's yeah. supposed to be, and then do a stinger <laughs> teaser of passion stuff, right? Like yeah. Oh yeah. man. We should really have more more stingers in worship. That would be good. We did a surprise gospel reading. I like this, Matt, a lot. Um we did a surprise <laughs> gospel reading uh, on Sunday at St. Aiden. Um they use a thing called story makers for their like kids stuff. Uh it's oh. good. It's like graphic novel sorts of things. Um and there's like a they have super abridged parted out versions of each of these like really long gospel stories. And so we substituted, uh, what is it, Woman at the Well, a Samaritan Woman at the Well, uh, with just doing a, a kind of reader's theater of this parted out, very two-page graphic novel version of the story. Uh, and I got to do the fun part because, like, they do the the gospel processes out into the middle of the people and, like, they do the whole thing, right? Uh, and he introduces the gospel. He's the narrator. He has the first line. And then I have the second line from like the pulpit behind him. And so like everybody had to turn around to see what was happening. And there's somebody over at the other like lectern going and stuff. Right. Uh, but gosh, that would be really fun. So you would like fig- figure out what your reading is. Right. But do it in the middle of the postlude. You know, that's what I would do. Like work with your music director, halting stop to the postlude. Oh my gosh. I was thinking like after the sending song, but you're right. After the postlude, you got to have like two of them. So everybody has to sit through the postlude. And then people would be like, don't get up. Gonna wait. Mm-hmm. Be great. Gosh, that's how you handle people. Yeah. What if people did want to leave because they're like, I don't want to miss it. If there's a, there's another scene, a stinger. <laughs> Gosh, it took us quite a while to get there, Matt. But we have come up with a revolutionary liturgical innovation. I think so. Yeah. Someday, when they write the commentary on the next ELW, they'll be like. Invented by the Bible preacher. It'll be great. That's right. It'll definitely be in there. I mean, we know that much. So, gosh, what uh, what new to say about it? I mean, I think, um, like the Ezekiel text, it preaches preaches pretty well. Um, couple notes. I feel like um, you know, again, like you said, the broader political context. Uh, we we already know Jesus is going into dangerous territory when the disciples are like, uh, you you want to go there? Like that's they're they're trying to kill you there. That's a dangerous place to go, right? So he's not just going to see his friends. He's going this. It's pretty pretty dangerous. I'm also curious. Like, so does Jesus when Jesus is like this illness does not lead to death? Does he does he know <laughs> what's gonna how um how uh um omniscient? do we think Jesus is in the story? Does he, 
just not take it seriously at first or he like and then you know or like or or is he just well from a certain point of view he's really gonna wake up i really know what's gonna happen like and then even this piece where like he's falling asleep he'll be all right like is he being like i just wonder like if his take changes because he doesn't start to weep until mary comes out and so i guess i i guess i kind of like the idea of jesus going through this like you know, he's got a particular approach, but then he encounters actual hu- other humans who have a, you know, and he's like, he he actually, like, his his demeanor changes, right? Jonathan Majors is playing Jesus. He can do a lot just with his facial expressions throughout this story. Um, that Jesus isn't just, like, this unfeeling robot, but, like, he actually starts from a place of, like, it's not a big deal, don't worry about it. And then he gets there, and it's like, oh, shit. So I just kind of wonder if Jesus, I wonder what's going on in Jesus' head throughout this story yeah i like it i like that man um i think that's a disconcerting like thread in the in the story that jesus is so like harsh about it and then he's crying um you know i wonder if it's the the distance between like the you know the the theoretical idea of death versus like the reality of it, that, like, and the mm-hmm. ripple effects that you, right. He cries at Mary, Mary, isn't it? Or Martha, whichever one it is. Right. Like perhaps it's not the death that he's grieving, but like the pain, the community, like the, the brokenness, the pain in the community itself that, that hits him. That's the experiential reality is more than the, the theoretical concept that there's resurrection, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And maybe it's maybe it's abstract and theoretical to reality and maybe I mean I'm just I'm just brainstorming here. Just just throwing ideas. Could be completely wrong. But is this like Jesus at the beginning of the story like trying to keep this at arm's length too? Is this like just in the mm-hmm. same way that he's like, Lord, take this cup from me? He's like, I don't wanna I don't wanna deal with it. Just like we sometimes don't wanna make that call because we don't know what we're walking into. You take that extra moment where you take a deep breath. Okay, I gotta, I gotta go in. I gotta do this thing. I gotta go into the hospital room. Is Jesus taking a moment to be like, yeah, I know what's gonna await me, and yeah, I gotta take a deep breath before I, you know, like I just, I wonder, I wonder, mm-hmm. especially if this story is like a precursor to um, Gethsemane and Golgotha. That like, there's a, there's a little narrative arc that's happening. Yeah. All right. Beyond that, uh, I also like. I think there's a little. I think there's a little Ted Lasso connection here, Zach. Ted Lasso's coming back, right? Is it today? Is it back it today? Came out last night. They dropped it last oh night a little gosh. early. I haven't seen it. Did you stay up and watch it? No, I didn't either. I, didn't. But, I had uh, to watch the finale of OBX. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Incredible. Bull. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about this springtime Ted Lasso. It feels like a summer show. I don't know. I guess last time mm. it was in the fall, but I don't know. But uh, anyway, it's great. We'll see what happens in season three. But uh, Believe also shows up in this passage. And I know that like we can sometimes feel uncomfortable with Believe and Belief because it feels like you're like belief in a proposition or you're taking a side and there's like an evangelical approach to that. Um, and yet it feels like Believe is core to both of these stories, right? Where like the, the question is, can these bones live? The crucial point is not like, the thing that you do to make the bones live. The answer isn't like, yeah, you just got to like go do some stuff and then here's how you do it. It's like, 
you just it's the answer to the question it's and mm-hmm. if you can answer the question in the affirmative somehow something has shifted in the atmosphere and that's when everything happens and and here too it's like is the question for this text can these bones live can lazarus rise if you can answer that question in the affirmative then all these things we it, like there's it's not like this is not or an instruction manual for this. is the know? answer come and see <laughs> come and see yeah come and see come and see but i think i I just wonder like um so the ted lasso connection of course is that they have this sign that says believe right and Mm -hmm. uh the the teaser for the new season just has all these different characters like making signs that say believe uh i think that sign even gets ripped up at the end of the last season right it's Mm -hmm. like like and so i wonder just like what what power does it have to say, I believe? I feel like I feel like there is a, a kind of fundamentalist way of looking at that where like belief is just picking the right side. You pick the right team, so you're going to heaven, right? Like there's there's that kind of but what if it's but what if we look at it from that like um that Ted Lasso approach, right? Where it's like, well what what does it mean to just to just believe in, in possibility? What does it mean to believe that something might be possible? Um and how could that begin to change things without even going any farther than that. That might be enough before Holy Week begins. Um, yeah. Belief. I just want to unpack that word. I feel like for this time. Yeah. That is a thing you could do here since you will get uh, at least Ezekiel later on, you know, is to you get two shots at it, two bites of the apple. You can set mm-hmm. things up. Well, Matt, what are you listening to? Oh my gosh. What am I listening to? Which, well, as I think you're going to point out, uh, there's some songs about bones on the world. So that's fun. Uh, so I'll throw on Bones by the Killers. It's from Sam's Town. Great, great album. Uh, and then uh, The Bones by Marin Morris featuring Hozier. Mm-hmm. So I'll throw both of those bones on there um if the bones are good um and then this being the week of saint patrick's day as we are recording it it'll be a little farther when you listen to this dear listener but uh so much youtube stuff going on there are about uh 387 uh variants of the vinyl record uh that are coming out depending on what color you want and where you want to order it from uh they really trying to get you to collect them all i'm not gonna do it i'm resisting uh but I may have ordered more than one. Um, anyway, uh, I got to put a U2 song on there then. Breathe from No Line on the Horizon, uh, which is a much maligned album, but I think it's one of their best songs. Breathe by U2. Uh, and then finally, lastly, uh, on this Raising of the Dead, I'm going to put a song called We Are Alive by Bruce Springsteen. Uh, I believe it's on the Wrecking Ball album. I'm going to say that and someone's going to correct me, uh, but it's called We Are Alive and it is it is basically about the raising of the dead and it's really, really good and you should listen to it. Really, really good. Check it out, dear listener. Matt, speaking of belief, I got to tell you, I can't do it. I can't believe that we would lie in our graves wondering of things that might have been. Uh, shout out. This is a Adam Burns special. Giving you a little Dave Matthews of the 1996 crash lie in our graves, which is a jam. 
it's a jam band, so they should produce lots of them. But it's a jam. Why in our graves? Because uh, that's where we're going to be when uh, the bones start rattling, shaking there in Ezekiel. Uh, Soccer Mommy has an excellent song called Bones that I'm going to put on there. You guys check it out. Uh, as I mentioned, Gospel of John, uh, Ministry of Jesus, kind of starts with a wedding down in Cana. ends with this funeral. And if you want a sad song for a funeral, there's only one place to go, and that's Feeds. Uh, Phoebe Bridgers has a very sad song about how she's sad all the time called Funeral That's Beautiful. Uh, but you might also hear doesn't, at that doesn't she wear a shirt of bones? She does. She mostly wears in the band, uh, historically. Just wear skeleton suits. Uh, and it's incredible. Incredible. I hope and maybe she'll wear a skeleton shirt with Bone Jesus. Uh, bone Jesus. <laughs> That's a band name. Boy Genius, which is not Bone Jesus, which is a different thing altogether. And I can't wait to Google that term and see what happens. <laughs> but while you're listening in the funeral to a sad, sad song, uh, getting your feels like Jesus weeping. Uh, you might start to hear some notes from St. Thomas of Petty, who's also ride or die uh, with good tunes. Uh, wake Up Time off of the Wildflowers album. Uh, it's wake up time, you know. Might be time to get up. Time to get going, Lazarus. Check it out. You can hear all these songs in their fullness when you open the Spotify application, which is a deal, evidently a barrier for some people. And go to The Vinyl Preacher and you can play the bonus episodes of TVP. FM, uh, where you get DJ voices, like NPR sort of deal, and uh, you get to listen to the full song, especially if you're a Spotify Premium listener. Good stuff. Well, it's been a good Lent. We'll see you in Holy Week. (laughs) Have you seen this book, Matt? This the life, the the life we actually have, or something. Love the life we actually Damn. have. Yeah, they're doing a Lenten study on it at St. Aidan's on it that I nice. really wanted them to call Lent. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> you, did you suggest it? They didn't, they didn't I did it. multiple times. Yeah, uh, it's been appreciated, but the name has not been changed. So, <laughs> would have been, would have been good. Mm. So Lent. Actually, 